Do you have opinions that you feel you can't express? I think we all do. Are you looking for a place to stir up conversation and let your opinions be heard? I want to introduce you to a new alternative social media site, Snippy.com. Snippy is an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. Snippy not only encourages freedom of expression, but guarantees its users the ability to discuss topics freely, without any suppression from administrators. Check in for a quick update about current events, or spend hours scrolling through users' posts. Write your thoughts and strike up conversation. Snippy's founders have intentionally created a forum where anyone can feel free to express their thoughts, frustrations, ideas, anything really. It's a place where discussion is valued. A place where your opinion matters. Totally free. Go to snippy.com now to express yourself. No shadow banning, no character limit, and no suppression of conservative thought ever. Check out the website at snippy.com or download the app. No censorship. No agenda. Join us at Snippy to get the discussion rolling. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. Let me share a Jerry Garcia quote with you. What we're thinking about is a peaceful planet. We're not thinking about anything else. We're not thinking about any kind of power. We're not thinking about any kind of struggles. We're not thinking about revolution or war or any of that. That's not what we want. Nobody wants to get hurt. Nobody wants to hurt anybody. We'd all like to be able to live an uncluttered life, a simple life, a good life, and think about moving the whole human race ahead, a step or f- a step or a few steps. Kind of ironic, given what happened to the members, the core group of the Grateful Dead, after the death of Jerry Garcia in August of 1995. Joel Selvin dives deep into the Machiavellian power struggle within the Grateful Dead after their philosophical leader, Jerry Garcia, died. Suddenly, in August of 1995, Joel is an award-winning journalist who's covered pop music for the San Francisco Chronicle since 1970. He's the author of the best-selling Summer of Love and co-author with Sammy Hagar of the number one New York Times bestseller, Red. He's written 12 other books about pop music, including his latest, Fare Thee Well, the final chapter of the Grateful Dead's long, strange trip. In fact, Joel's co-author is Pamela Turley. Joel, welcome back to Coast to Coast. How are you? Excellent. So good to be back. It's great speaking with you again. You were kind enough to speak to me for an episode of my podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, on Altamont, and I learned so much uh, from talking to you. And and, uh, uh, I'm not not blowing smoke here. I mean, you truly are one of the deans of, uh, you know, in terms of chronicling rock and roll. You were there... You know, from the early days, I think you attended your first Grateful Dead concert, like at the beginning, 1966 or something, wasn't it? That's true. Uh, 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 April 1966, uh, uh, they'd just gotten back from Los Angeles. They were on a teen dance bill uh, with a group from Sacramento called the Union Jacks, and it was so early in the psychedelic scene, uh, it was was like a, a moment in Berkeley all the way across the bridge from San Francisco, they were trying this out, and I remember that they 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 had a kind of like a, a, a sort of a lean-to light show, and they'd borrowed a an opaque projector. You remember those old opaque projectors that your teacher used to put books in the show yes. up on oh, the yes. wall? Yes, and they they had a bowl of colored Jello under the opaque Jello, and that was the light show. <laughs> that was the light show. Yeah. Wow. Now, was, uh, now, the, I, I, I vaguely remember the band from that uh, uh, night, but you know, at that point in San Francisco, you couldn't go to rock shows without uh, uh, running into the Grateful Dead. They were on every bill. They were at every sure. concert. 
They were just around. They, now, were, they, were, the, they were the home team. Were, now, were the Merry Pranksters around? Was that still part of the Kool-Aid acid test? Or was, or was LSD, had it been banned in California by that time? So the Kool-Aid acid tests, the, uh, the, they're in late 65. Uh, most of them took place down in the South Bay. They had one up in Muir Beach, up in Marin County, which is where they met Owsley. Uh, and they had a couple in San Francisco, and then they held the acid, uh, the, the Trips Festival in January of 66. And that's sort of a, a, a starting point for the whole San Francisco scene. The January, uh, 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 Bill Graham started producing concerts with the Jefferson Airplane at the Fillmore and Quicksilver Messenger Service and Big Brother and the Holding Company started playing uh, in public. Um, so the, it, it rolled out from there. The Dead uh, became the Dead in about December of 65. They were the Warlocks before that. Right. And they were just part and parcel of the, of the whole deal. They were, they were uh, uh, an everyday event on the San Francisco rock scene. Now, I, I don't want to dwell on the past because this, this book is, is post-1995. It's what happened to the Grateful Dead's core, the four, after the death of Jerry Garcia. But I've got to ask you, because you mentioned Owsley Stanley III, I believe the grandson of a Kentucky senator. Uh, I mean, this guy wanted to, you know, he, he had aspirations of becoming a ballerina, and he was a pilot, and he, he did everything. Well, fluent in but, Russian. Yeah. Would yeah. there have been the Grateful Dead without Owsley Stanley? So I'm so glad you mentioned that. He is a huge uh, uh, factor in the design of the Grateful Dead. In the, in the conceptualization, in the actualization, and Owsley, who's best known, of course, for being the first private party to synthesize LSD, uh, he really is also a revolutionary uh, acoustician, you know, sound engineer. Uh, he was the first person to create monitors. The wall of sound. Well, the wall of sound was later, but, the, the, I mean, monitors, man, you know, so you can hear yourself sing. Mm-hmm. Those, little, those little speakers that they turn around and face the band. Right, right. And he was also the first guy to mix a, a, a concert in stereo. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. No, Owsley was, wow. was, was, was a madcap genius, an amazing guy, an extraordinary personality. And, of course, the LSD uh, uh, empire made a lot of dough. So he, was, he funded an awful lot of the Grateful Dead's early enterprises. He, he was their benefactor. Right, right. Now, I mean, you, you've insisted all along, despite, you know, I don't know how many concerts of the dead you've attended, but you were there in 66, but you say you're not a deadhead. Explain. Yeah, well, I, you know, um, I'm not really a deadhead. I remember those guys, they, they, they'd showed up on, on, the, on the public transportation system at the Fillmore shows, and, and they danced over the side with their hands over their heads and everything. And, and any time the dead was on the bill, there was a contingent of those people. Uh, and it, it's, it's a culty cult, uh, behavior. Uh, I've never been to two dead shows in a row. Uh, I've never twirled in the hallway. I've, I've certainly taken LSD and, and gone to dead concerts, but uh, I just never followed them that way. But on the other hand, as a, the pop music reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, I saw the Grateful Dead as a a big-time story, and, and I wanted to make sure they were adequately covered in the paper. So, you know, pretty much saw all their uh, major local concerts and, and, and covered all the, the large events in their, in their career from, you know, 1970 on. 
Had had Jerry Garcia not passed in 1995, would they have just kept going? Well, they had a tour booked that September. Uh, they had 60 people working for them, and uh, everybody was living the good life and very accustomed to it. There were a few outlier voices in the early 90s going, hey, you know, this 60, 70 concerts a year is pretty hard on Garcia. Are you sure you want to keep pushing him this hard? But nobody paid any attention to that. And, uh, yeah, he w- his health was in very bad shape all through the 90s. He almost died in the 80s. He was in a coma for a number of days and came out of it. It was a year before he was really back on his feet. And he never really recovered. Uh, went back on drugs. His, his, his weight blew up. Uh, he, he was a mess. And I don't think he was happy. I think he uh, was, uh, you know, felt closed in from the band. I, I think that being the, the leader of the Grateful Dead had become a real burden to him. But well, he was out getting off that train. You know, right. You know, he was only one way to leave. I mean, he had become the the reluctant leader of what had bl- grown into this global empire. I mean, how much were they grossing? Concerts, record sales, merchandise in particular, annually. Uh, it, it was phenomenal. The numbers were just off the charts. You know, the uh, 50 million in, in ticket sales, another 30 million in T-shirt sales. Uh, you know, 300 million over the course of several years. I mean, they they were the top grossing rock band for a number of years in a row in the early 90s. They were playing so, consecutive dates at stadiums. Michael Jackson, Rolling Stones territory, and yet they didn't get played on the radio. That's true. They really didn't. Uh, I mean, they had that little MTV moment with uh, I Will Survive, but um, Touch of Grey. Uh, no, they, 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 Dead were never part of the radio. They, they, they existed in a, in a different universe than, than other rock bands. And, and the people that went to their shows uh, really were devoted to the Grateful Dead. They, they weren't the same people that showed up at the Jay Giles show the next week. <laughs> that must have been a heavy burden uh, on, on Garcia, responsible for, what, maybe, maybe a hundred families from the, from the core group of musicians right down to the guy who sold burritos at their concerts? Yeah. I mean, hundreds of people reliant upon him. Well, and also, there had been so many long, thin, hard years where they didn't make any dough, and everybody was, was, was scrapping to, to put food on the table, really. Uh, I remember in, in 1975, they'd been on the road for 10 years, and they took a year off, and the drummer, Bill Kreutzmann, wanted to buy a condo, you know, have a place to live, and, and he, he couldn't raise the $5,000 that he needed for a down payment. How is that possible after, after uh, American Beauty and, and all of these great they albums? They about money, and they, they spent it like, you know, willfully on, on, you know, improving their acoustics on the wall of sound that you mentioned, uh, on the, you know, hiring people. One point they, in, in the seventies, they had 300 people working for them. They had their own travel agency. They had their own car rental company. Uh, they, they just soaked it up and spread it out thin. And, and, and they were, they, they stayed true to that code. You know, I mean, they, 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 they saw money as a tool to expand their influence and, 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 and make their scene groovier. 
It's interesting. I mentioned that that quote of Jerry Garcia off the top, and it is kind of ironic. And and I mean, I don't want to I don't want to go too far into this analogy because it, I mean, but I think of when Garcia died, and you had these four tempestuous characters. It was almost like Tito in Yugoslavia. You know, <laughs> he, not that not that Garcia was Tito. I mean, he was a strong armed man, but Garcia with his Zen like you know, non-confrontational. He held them together. But with in his absence, they just went at each other hammer and tongs, didn't they? They did not have any grounds for a relationship between the four of them. They all, each and every one of them, thought that they were Jerry Garcia's best friend. But they didn't think that about each other. And then when Jerry was taken out of the equation, it's like the hub went away and the spokes were just at loose ends. How does a, how do people though perform together, live together, travel in a bus together, in hotels through the lean times, uh, and not develop a close, you know, brotherly bond? You know, the fans thinking about this golden ring of love around uh, the band. Uh, how they, does that not? No, they they those, those guys are all bonded. Uh, there's no question about that, but and 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 Garcia, I remember him telling me that one of the, the the things that really served to bond them, and he used that word, was all the LSD trips they took together as young men. Uh, so they were bonded, but it was a question of a relationship, right? And you know, re- relationally, they all related to each other through Jerry. And they didn't have like the 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 parallel alliances that that you would need to survive the loss of the centrifugal part of their scene. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.